as a title for today. I don't know if that would inspire people to say, oh, I've got to be there to hear that. But it's nonetheless true. Nonetheless, would you open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It is fascinating that this particular part in the Bible that Paul wrote, he's actually, the Bible was not divided into chapters or into verses originally. They were just written. In fact, all the sentences ran together. And if you did not know Greek, then it would be somewhat difficult for you to be able to decide which was a sentence. But the structure of the sentence in Greek and the ways it's organized actually tell you. So if you know Greek, it helps you. But throughout the years, as uh, the Reformation came around, they said, well, it's really difficult for us to find a specific passage if we have to read through the whole thing. So why don't we divide it into chapters? So it's chapters, and then Melanchthon and others went by, and they, uh, reformers, and they put in the little verse numbers to help you find so we can turn to Philippians 2. But the reality is that Paul, when he wrote this book to the Philippians, Church of Philippi, He was continuing his discussion that happened in chapter 1. We will not do that. We'll just pick up the thought. And the thought that he had was he was talking about what does it mean to be a Christian citizen? What does that mean in actual reality? And my little clicker is now falling apart in my hand. Un momento, por favor. There, that didn't hurt. What he feared that was taking place in the church is there was division taking place in the church. And they were divided on what they were going to do, and they were arguing back and forth. And he was trying to write a letter to kind of calm them down. So that kind of is the context in which the uh, letter, the part goes on in chapter 2, and Philippians is dealing with divisions. Now you might find it surprising that the church of Philippi would be arguing with one another. Personally, I wasn't there, but... Evidently, that was happening, and he'd received word from that. So if you found your place there, Philippians 2, we're going to pick up right at the very first verse. Therefore, he said, therefore, concluding after all he's talked about Christian citizenship, he says, if you have any encouragement, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, in other words, you're a believer, You've united your heart. If you have any encouragement, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, you can tell that they've been arguing with one another, then make my joy, Paul said, complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Value others above yourself. There is the concept that we've all kind of grown up with, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto yourself. How you would do that, the golden rule. But this is a step beyond. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. He's calling the church to do that to one another. Not looking to your own interests, but each of the interests of others. So I would gather from that that there is no protection of one's turf. Would you gather from that? 
that I'm looking out for your interests over my own. How can I help your needs above my own? So that is a phenomenal thought. Phenomenal view. And in the relationships with one another, have the same, oh, there it is, mindset. The same mindset as Christ Jesus. The same way of thinking that you, that's where I came up with the concept of the perfect mindset. Because we would say Christ would have the perfect mindset, would we not? We would suggest that and have it. But we could ask, well, what in the world? What is the mindset of Christ? What would be the mindset of Christ? How we look at it? And what is he trying to sell us? He's sharing with us unselfish humility. Unselfish humility. It's easy for um, pastors when we get together to kind of compare church with church, you know? So they say, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, that's wonderful. We're down in there. And we kind of finally get around and say, well, how big is your church? You know, what's your, what's your size of your church? And as you're going up in the ministry, you say, well, I have a 250-member church. How much is yours? Well, I have a 280. Oh. oh, oh, oh. But we're growing, I wouldn't respond. Yeah, we'll soon be bigger than you are, I hope. Type of thing. You see that selfish <laughs> And then when you say, oh, I have a 650-member church. Oh, yes. I, uh, one time when I was pastoring, had, you'll be impressed with this, 1,260 members, something like that, in my church. I was really impressed. Boy, was that a lot of work and didn't get much done. So the question about these raising there is how? How are we going to have the mindset of Christ Jesus? Now, I want to share with you what the next verses have. And you may have it in your Bible as, in, as if it is in poetry. Do you have that as a kind of, instead of being just line, 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 it has it in type of poetry. There's something incredible that's coming up. And when I got to the seminary, this particular passage was repeated over and over and over again. And the reason it was repeated over and over again is because of how condensed this beautiful passage is in its meaning. Would you look at that? This is an example of looking at the study of Christ as we look at his life, and he's going to describe a part of Jesus' life. Here we go with verse 6. Who, speaking of Jesus, being in the very nature of God, he was God, remember? In the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. You may have it, he, it was, um, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. He didn't have to try to be it. He didn't try, have to try to prove himself. He was, God. he was God. Remember they challenged him, you know, prove that you are God. If you're doing that, prove it, prove it. He didn't have to prove it. He didn't have to prove it to anybody. He was just living his life and living what it was and doing what he was doing. So, that very nature of God, and he considered equality God, he was there, he was God himself. Rather, he goes on, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Very nature of a servant being made in the human likeness. He became a servant. The king of glory, the creator of the world, then came, he emptied himself and became a servant, 
Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve, didn't he say that? So here is that example of Christ coming. Can you imagine what this was? I've tried to put my mind, and I cannot put my mind clearly around what that would mean for God to become the creator of the world, the one who spoke the world into existence, to now come down and be with the creature. The creator then takes on the role of the servant, and not only just to be one among the royalty, but to be born in a stable, and to live that life of a servant going on, he said, and... Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross. Even the death on the cross became, humbled himself to not only be a servant, but now he comes to the cross. You see, Jesus gave himself up on the cross. They could not have taken Jesus to the cross if it was not in his will and his permission to do so. When the challenge came, if you say you're the Son of God, well, then come down from this cross. He could have instantly. Could have wiped them out with the flash of his eyes. It had been done. So, he sacrificed himself for the good of others. He sacrificed himself for the good of you and the good of me. Therefore, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name. What name would that be? Redeemer? The name Redeemer? That is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I have had that in the seminary repeated to me, read to me. I remember, never forget, Raul Deteran, one of the most outstanding seminary teachers, I, teachers I've ever had. And when he would take and hold the Bible, he always, when he read the scriptures, it was always with reverence. But this particular passage, he would always read with such great care because as he would read it and share it with us, there was that particular idea of what Christ did to save Raoul Deterin. That the emptying of him to become a servant, to, be, to take on that role of humility, of being able to serve for your best interest, not his best interest. You're the creator of the world set aside his best interest for your best interest. And that was the very nature of Christ. That's what he was, what he was about. And now Paul says, have that same mindset of Christ. Every believer should have that same mindset of Christ. Paul goes on in your relationships with one another. Have that same mindset as Jesus Christ. Have that. Therefore, therefore. So, what can we gather from his example? What can we gather from Jesus' mindset? of being a servant. What can we gather from there? Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, he writes, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What salvation is he working out? He's working out the mindset of Christ. 
not of works, we're trying to do something to earn our way to heaven, but that we might apply and make life have the mindset. That's what he's talking about, the mindset of Christ of living that unselfish humility. That's what he's talking about. Making that decision. For it is God, he said, who works in you. It is God who works in you to do the will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. As I was thinking about this week, as I was rolling that around in my head, trying to think, of, how is that going to apply? How is that going to work? I was thinking in my life, that is a choice that I am going to have to make. If I'm to have the mindset of Christ, unselfish humility, I have to make that choice. Do you see that? Do you see that part? Making the choice. That I'm willing to be the servant. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. <laughs> now, sometimes I've been to some board meetings that... Um, I'll never forget that one time I was, I had just gotten back from the seminary and, you know, you're all green. You know everything because you haven't learned anything yet. But you get back from the seminary and, and um, I was at a school board meeting. Not like ours, Marianne. The school board meeting. And uh, two physicians. It was uh, several churches were part of this constituency and one physician was in one church and one physician was in another church and they had a long history about their school. And they got into an argument in the board meeting where they were each calling each other liars. And I just sitting there with my eyes, I, oh, I, I never, I was still green but I didn't think you call one another liars to their face, yelling at them at a board meeting. They didn't get to that, but it was close. And that's, that's not the way that it was supposed to be, is it? Not if we have the mindset of Christ to make that choice to put the interests of the other above myself. Now, if you may have caught on that the church is uh, made up of people, and have you noticed that? And therefore, the church really means the circle of believers. It's not the building. It's the circle of believers is what the word means. So the, the church is made up of people, and because we're not in the, in the uh, kingdom yet, we've not gone to heaven, we still deal with the struggles of self here, and so the church is not perfect. Have you caught on to that? I've caught on to that. So I've understood from time as pastoring, it's not always pretty. But I always recognize it as being God's children and that he is in charge, not Bill. He's in charge. And he's responsible. Because someday, someday, you know, when we talk about it, I say, well, this is my pulpit. In actual fact, this is not my pulpit, is it? When I go and leave, we will, I will not be taking this with me. 
So it stays, church stays, Christ's ministry stays, whether I'm here or not. That's not an announcement. Please don't jump on that. So um, I had an elder, <laughs> and uh, he would uh, greet people at the church and up front and give them the welcoming like we do here, and glad you're here, and he'd say, you know, we have a really wonderful church, and we're just, we all get along, we're happy people, we get along, um, but if you came in this morning and didn't have that experience, you may have met one of our three grouches. We have three grouches in our church. And uh, they tend to have a negative view of everything. And you may have met one of them. Of course, everybody's looking to see who, who in the world is he talking about. Well, we're a smaller church. We only have two. So, <laughs> so if you have met one of those, the church, the church itself, is wonderful people. That's why I chose to be here. Wonderful people. But it's not perfect. And I am not perfect. And I bet you aren't either. And I bet this lesson that Paul is talking about is about having the mindset of Christ, that selfish, unselfish humility, that selfishness set aside for the good of the other, to look for the interests of the other, is a decision in my heart that I'm going to make. Christ, you're going to have to help me do that. You're going to have to help me make that process and that going. And if you've had an experience of, oh, it's kind of rough at the church, blah, 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 you met our grouches. He goes on, verse 15, so, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in the warped and crooked generation. Are we living in that? Yes, we are. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that it did not run or labor in vain. But even, even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service, which he did, he was, um, Paul was uh, beheaded, Coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you, so that you should be glad and rejoice with me. And as I was thinking of this passage, and the call that it makes to my heart for unselfish humility, the, the putting of others' interests first, that particular thing said, that's how I enter into the joy of our Lord. I would ask you today, dearly beloved, shall we rejoice together by being willing to be servants for one another? The board does not get into fights when you take a position of being a servant. Amen. You know? 
It's kind of stunning. The church does not get into fights when we take on the role of a servant. How can I help you? Dear Lord, I thank you for this powerful passage. How the example given there is is amazing, Lord. This example of, of Christ, the mindset of Christ who emptied himself, went to the cross, gave up his own interests in order to lift up my interests. Who went to the cross, was obedient even in death. He gave himself up, he sacrificed himself. So I would not have to. It's that kind of unselfishness, that humility of being able to help others, Lord, that you would like us to have. Paul is calling for all of us to do. And it's not easy because self crides itself and finds itself its way. I ask, Lord, today that we may have that mindset. But you're going to have to teach it to us gently, kindly, that we may make that decision. I wish for that for myself. And I wish that for this church. I thank you, for Lord, for inspiring people in this congregation who have already taken that step and are willing to serve. Put their own self-interests aside. May we all join them in that. Be of one body and one spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.